Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee shops, favorite stores, local businesses have been there for us. They remember our orders. They always give back, making a difference, going that extra mile to support us and our community. Right now, more than ever, our local businesses need our support. So it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business. And look for the contactless symbol to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa. Everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. The one and one Dallas Cowboys are headed up to Seattle to take on the two and oh Seattle Seahawks. We're here to preview it all on the Athletic. I'm Kent Garrison, producing as always. Welcome in to About Them Cowboys. Got a lot to talk about this week. We got a Jalen Smith feature from our editor Mike Pellucci. We're going to talk about. We're going to dive right into the Seattle Seahawks Cowboys matchup, and of course. Right off the top, we're going to get some injury reports, a little practice update from Father John Mishota. So wanted to remind our listeners also about the athletics deal that we got going on right now. It's a dollar for 12 months. That's basically 12 bucks. Okay. So go to theathletic.com slash about them cowboys, cash that in, pay your dollar and get in for the next year. All this great content across our entire platform. Not only Dallas Cowboys, not only Dallas sports, we got international sports, Bundesliga. If you're into that, check it out, theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. But now, time to welcome in our panel from The Athletic. It's Father John Mishota, also from The Athletic. It's editor Mike Pellucci. And from the Ben and Skin Show, Kevin, KT Fun Podcasts Turner. Hey guys, welcome in. Time to talk Seahawks versus Seafoam. And SeaTac, right? Isn't that the airport up there? SeaTac, there you go. A lot of C. Well, look, this is a this is a big game, right? So we, Seattle, to me, if we're uh, you know, I, I don't know if it, going into the year if I had them as a top two team in the NFC, but through two weeks, I absolutely do. At two and oh, they've had two really impressive wins. So I think this is uh, going to be a fun one on Sunday, and uh, we like to get you ready for it. Um, John, let's start with you. Latest injury buzz out there uh, at the Star. I know Mike McCarthy is the keeper of all secrets, but uh, what would you say uh, so far would be uh, kind of the biggest injury news uh, as we are uh, here in the middle of the week here? So the Cowboys don't have any cornerbacks at all. That's fun. Um, open tryouts. Uh, for the rest of the week, if you want, just come up to the star. Uh, there's that little field out front. You can just start out by doing your warm up drills there, and then they'll bring you in, and uh, you'll get to go against Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. Um, yeah, their secondary is a disaster, and let's not act like it was a strength going into the season anyway. But Anthony Brown's on the three week IR right now. Uh, Chidobia Wuzier suffered a hamstring injury in the fourth quarter of the Falcons' win, and Mike McCarthy said that will be a multiple-week injury, so uh, that's not good. And then I noticed Trayvon Diggs at practice today doing some individual things. Actually, let me just add this in here real quick to get, paint you guys a little picture, everyone that's listening, to what we get to see at practice. What we get to see at practice, it didn't alarm me that Trayvon Diggs didn't have his helmet. That's how little we get to see at practice, that it didn't stand out that a player, a starter on the team, 
didn't have his helmet on because that's the type of stuff. There's a lot of standing around doing some individual drills, things like that. That's during like the first 30 minutes. We don't get to see a ton. Uh, Mike McCarthy's very good at being super secretive, which in the first quarter of that last game, I, I don't know what kind of secrets he was keeping, but anyway, that's not, that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, so Trayvon Diggs now has a shoulder injury and he didn't practice at all today. So not great. Um, you could be looking at a possibility of, starting Jordan Lewis and Brandon Carr as your corners, maybe mixing a little Daryl Worley. What does that do for you guys? Well, not, it's not exciting. Um, it's, uh, it's way worse than I thought it would be. You know, it felt like we came out of Sunday's game relatively healthy and, uh, you kind of get here and, you know, the way things went last week too, where it was kind of like late in the week. It's very secretive that Tyron Smith's neck is an issue. And then you kind of start thinking, well, I guess he's probably not going to play. I guess I don't, we'll see what happens Sunday morning. That's just difficult when they're when they're keeping secrets, you know. And um, so, yeah, who are the corners? I mean, I had issues about who they were going to cover, how they were going to cover, and uh, you know, Seattle's new new mo of uh, quote unquote letting Russ cook is kind of the thing that's taken over online for the last couple of years. They're finally letting him do that. I was like, how are they going to cover these guys with if our guys are healthy? When well, our cornerbacks are all gone, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. This uh, this sounds terrible, John. This sounds like horrible news. It's all about the pass rush, though. That's what's going to happen. The pass rush is going to be so much better than it was the first two games, KT. Oh, Do no. you believe that? Well, I was hoping that I would believe that, but no. Not right now. Um, can I bring... Mike, I want to bring you into something. and I, Mike, you might not have even seen this, so I might be throwing you to the fire, and I, I do want to get John's thoughts on this as well. Did you guys happen to see the Jeff Cavanaugh-Everson Griffin interaction on Twitter? I did not. Uh, friend of friend of the athletic, Jeff Cavanaugh. Um, what, did, what did Jeff get himself into? Yeah, you guys might not have known that I was going to go here, but I did think it was interesting. And it, I mean, since you guys are um, like historically have spent more days in a locker room than I have, I thought it would be an interesting question. So basically, you know, Jeff Cavanaugh, who works at the, over at the fan and uh, is on the on the draft show, and and you know, he's a Cowboys media guy. You know, he weekly he goes and watches the film and does a little breakdown. And he uh, he uh, had a tweet, and he was like, "Everson Griffin hasn't been good yet." And I think Jeff's context was, "I'm watching this game live and tweeting about it." You know, doing the kind of the film study. So I think his context was like second quarter. Like, has it been good yet? But Everson Griffin did not like that as he was apparently searching his name and uh, he told Jeff to keep his name out of his mouth. My question for you guys is, have you ever come across a player where you've had to be critical uh, or a coach where you've had to be critical about them in an article at some point or anything where you've like, man, I would not want to meet them in an alley because they might be mad about what I said. Have you guys ever had anybody get mad at you for being critical? That's, that's happened a couple of times. I feel like there, I don't know specific instances, but John can probably think of a few where not necessarily with him, but with members of the media where somebody wrote something or said something and got shunned for a week or that person didn't talk for two weeks because they were mad about something that was written. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, I think it's endemic to the territory of especially pro athletes. You know, when I was the most time I've spent on a beat proper, I mean, I've done a lot of reporting and feature writing and all that, but in terms of being on a beat, I covered a college team. And with that, it's sort of, you tend not to be as harsh on the kids because they're unpaid college kids. Um, it's a little bit different, I think, just kind of climate-wise when you're talking about professional athletes. And 
you know, they get paid a lot of money to produce. And in spite of that, certainly I think nobody likes being criticized. So yeah, I think everybody, you know, I think, and I'm sure, you know, shoot, John covering this team as long as he has, has to have these stories. But I think it's sort of the, the deal of a lot of the time it's, you know, especially if you're there around the team, something like that happens, you hash it out, you talk it out, you move on. Like very rarely, unless it's something truly motivated at, you know, someone's personal life or something that's outside of their play, very rarely does that stuff linger. I mean, if it's something about your play, it tends to blow over before too long. Yeah, it was definitely when Des Bryant was on the team. He he knew what was being written, and he would definitely take exception with stories that were written about him more so than anybody else. And if you're if you follow him on Twitter right now, you know that that is still kind of the case there. So I would say he's the one that's has stood out the most. Um, that's not to say other players don't see what's being written. It just a lot of other players almost in a way don't want to even acknowledge that they even know that you wrote something negative about them. Like they're like, we, I play professional football and you don't, I don't care what you have to say about me. So, um, I did see the back and forth with Everson and, and Jeff. Um, I like Everson Griffin. I think he's very authentic. Um, and you know, I think the thing with Everson Griffin and talking to him today is that there's a lot of similarity similarities there with him as Demarcus Lawrence, like their best football has been played with their hand on the ground. And then all of a sudden, Mike Nolan comes in and wants you to play three, four stand up outside linebacker. And that's not their game. And so, um, from what Everson said today, it sounds like he's going back to three point stands, uh, which, which should be a good thing for him. That's what he's been doing for the last decade in Minnesota. And then I would see, I could see Demarcus doing something similar, uh, just because that's where he's had the most success. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I saw what, I saw what Everson said. I didn't, you know, I didn't really put too much stock and obviously he's frustrated because, you know, he doesn't want to be criticized and it's only been two games with a new team. And the big thing with him is that they didn't have an off season. There's no preseason games. He gets kind of just thrown right in the mix and he signed with the team late. So it's like, well, what are you expecting? You know, I mean, he's tied for the team lead with one sack. Him and Alden Smith have the only sacks on the team and Everson uh, leads the team in QB pressures with five. So yeah, I don't think he's been outstanding, but I don't think really anybody on their defense has been outstanding. Yeah, I think Everson had one of the biggest plays in that game on Sunday, that sack when, you know, late in the game to help the Cowboys get the ball back. I mean, that that was huge and might have been forgotten because of all the chaos that that game uh, had collectively on Sunday. Looking at the uh, Seahawks, you know, two big wins. They beat Atlanta. They beat New England. They got up uh, fairly big on both teams. Um, the thing I think you see with Seattle uh, defensively is they appear to be a team that's going to give up some yards through the air. And the Cowboys appear to be a team that can put up some yards through the air. Um, I will say this, Seattle got up by two scores in both of those games to where the teams might have to throw to get back in the game, but they're giving up nine yards per pass attempt. Um, so I think, you know, it could be a game where if we're talking about these cornerback injuries and we're talking about kind of waiting on this pass rush to, you know, get going and start getting a little pressure. It does, you know, appear like this could be another shootout type of game, um, you know, with Seattle. So, um, you know, I, I mean, for me, it all goes to who, who are, how are you going to cover DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, you know, uh, you know, Greg Olson's not what he used to be. Will Disley's a, a decent target and, Chris Carson, they'll use him out of the backfield. They'll, they'll get creative in how they, they use their offense. But the new Seattle Seahawks, 
this is a little different than the team you beat in the playoffs last year who wanted to run it 50% of the time. In fact, right now, uh, and this, again, it's it's early this year, but right now they are throwing the ball way more than they're running the ball. And I, they're kind of been open about it. Like, we're, we want to be a 60-40 pass-to-run team. We want to let Russ, uh, Russell Wilson take over games early. And the way they used to play was, let's try to run it. Let's try to be Jason Garrett style. Let's keep it close. And then Russell will go win us a one-score game. That terrifies me. That changes my outlook on the Seattle team because if they let Russell go go play and they can find a way to protect him somewhat, they quickly become dangerous. DK Metcalf has got true wide receiver one status uh, upside. And he may not have achieved that yet, but he worked Stephon Gilmore over a few times the other day in the New England game. So... I am terrified of what the Seattle offense could do to this Cowboys defense if they're unable to get any pressure on Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I feel, go ahead. Yeah, I was just to say sometimes this is a very rare window early in the season where you, you know, the, these two teams have a common opponent and they play them one week apart. So you're, you know, if it's different if you have a common opponent, maybe week one versus week nine, a lot of things change, but. Uh, Atlanta week one relative to Atlanta week two, not that different other than Julio Jones clearly not looking hundred percent last week. So you have a Cowboys team that barely eked by Atlanta. And on the one hand, you could sit there and say, all right, well, they're not going to turn the ball over like they did in the first quarter that quickly all in a row again. But on the other hand, there were, Atlanta left some points on the board. And so if you are this Dallas team and you struggle to contain Atlanta and you are going to be even less healthy this week, uh, I mean, you know, you, we can we can do the big picture analysis or we can do something that's staring us right in the face, which is if you, you know, Seattle ran Atlanta off the field, uh, Dallas barely got by Atlanta. Dallas is not nearly as healthy. What's going to happen this week at Seattle? It's it's not a very inspiring picture going in. I think both fan bases, both teams can look at it from almost the same perspective. One is if you're a Cowboys fan or if you're the Cowboys team, you look at them as you know, what are we going to do about Russell Wilson? Um, we don't have a great defense. This guy's playing as well as anybody in the league. He's going to cut us up if we can't sit there and get any pressure on him at all, you know? And so, you know, the thing is with him is is he can scramble outside the pocket and make some of the best plays. I mean, his accuracy, especially in his deep ball, is as good as anybody, if not the best in the league. So it's not just getting pressure on him, but you got to make sure that you're in his face so that he can't run around and throw on the run because he's great at that too. So, so in that sense, you, I can see how Cowboys, Cowboys fans, Cowboys, the team would be terrified. But then on the other side of it, you look at it as if you're the Seahawks, you probably hate seeing the way the Cowboys got their offense clicking in the second half against Atlanta. Because again, no offseason, real offseason, no preseason games. You can understand why that offense, especially with a, a rookie wide receiver being a key factor in it, losing your starting tight end for for the season you could see how there could be some bumps in the road there, okay? Now, you look at the way that they've played in that second half. If they build off that and continue playing that same way, if you're Seattle, you're sitting there and you're terrified too, okay? see The Cowboys right now, they lead through the first two weeks. They lead the league with 41 offensive plays of 10 or more yards. And Seattle's defense leads the league in giving up the most plays of 10 or more yards at 47. And so when you look at that, you're 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 not looking at them like, they're a defense that's about to shut you down. This ain't Legion of Boom anymore. That's that's gone. This yeah. isn't that that defense at all. And so because of that, I can see it going either way. You know, where if that offense, the Cowboys' offense plays like it did in the second half, and they're clicking and they're moving the ball, 
and you can get a Terrence Steele and a Brandon Knight to play solid football, not like you saw early in the game, then you could be okay. But if you got those two guys going and they're not protecting Dak Prescott, then yeah, it's going to be a long day and Seattle probably wins by two or three scores. But I can see it from both sides of why both, I don't think either either team, either fan base is feeling great about their defense right now going into this game. Yeah, I'll say this too about Seattle. If there's if you're, if you're they happen to not be without Tyron again this week, and I'll tell you where I feel as we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, I don't feel great about Tyron playing this week. So, so real quick, so Tyron was at practice uh-huh. today. Um, he, he didn't have a helmet on. He he did the stretching with the team, and then during the individual drills, he broke off on his own and worked with an athletic trainer doing the cores and doing some running stuff, which we had. I, I was kind of surprised we even saw that. With all of that being said, it's certainly McCarthy seems like the type of guy that's going to – he'd rather – if he thinks giving Tyron another week is going to make him healthier as the season goes along, he'd rather risk that. I mean, considering the opponent, considering what's mm-hmm. left ahead of them – uh, you know, you get Lyle Collins back, hopefully at the end of, you know, the three weeks will be up on, on his IR stint. I think that he'll err on the side of caution, but I just wanted to be known. He was at practice today, just he wasn't actually practicing. As you say, with Seattle, Bruce Irvin out for the year, and he's not who he once was, but they were counting on him to be a pass rushing threat. Uh, they're starting linebackers. They're, they're going to have rookie Jordan Brooks out there at linebacker, along with K.J. Wright. If this tells you how bad, or if this tells you Seattle's biggest problem is probably getting to the to the passer, Benson Mayoa is considered a very key piece, a key cog to that team. So you know we've had Benson Mayoa here, and he's had a decent year, but he doesn't make you exactly uh, you know tremble in fear. But you know what? Neither did Adrian Claiborne that one fateful day a few years ago. But that's kind of a, kind of something that. I'll kind of you, you keep an eye on like if there's a team you're going to play, well, at least you're not playing a team who's, you know, a Washington who might have four, you know, Ryan Kerrigan and Chase Young and all kinds of guys they can throw at you. You know, Seattle's at least not going to have a bunch of guys that make you, uh, you know, uh, pee your pants when it comes to like getting to, to the quarterback. With Russell Wilson right now, he's throwing a touchdown pass every seven balls he throws. He's uh, 82.5% completion percentage right now. Again, small sample size through two games. But right now through two games, Seattle's the second uh, highest team in the league in terms of uh, pass, uh, passing the football. In terms of, you know, adjusting that to game script, of course, and how many plays. But they're throwing the ball, you know, the second most in the league. So, you know, look at the Cowboys, too. You know, they're bottom five in the league in negative plays. And at some point, that's going to have to change. They're going to have to get some splash plays to kind of make you change your thoughts on the defense. Because I think right now, I don't know about you, I feel about the secondary about the same way I feel about the offensive line without Tyron and Lyle. Cobble it together and get through it. It's kind of the way I feel about it. And that probably shouldn't be how you're talking about a team that you think might be a contender. But, you know, football's weird with injuries. And in week three, I just... Man, I, I I was hoping after the the excitement of the other, of the game as I, as I thought about this, and then I went back and I watched this, the Seahawks play the Patriots. I went back and watched that again, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, Seattle's going to be real tough to beat, especially if we don't have a secondary. So I don't know if I'm beating a dead horse here, but I'm just telling you, when it comes down to it's time to make our predictions, I won't be picking the Cowboys this week. And if I'm a jerk, screw me. But that's not happening. 
I think so much is going to come down to just approach, right? I mean, we know what this team has. We know where they're weak. We know what Seattle is going to do, right? I mean, you know, John brought up a good point. If Dallas builds off of what they did in the second half last week, then yeah, I'd put their passing attack right up there with Seattle's. But the question is, and the difference is, we know Seattle's going to come out throwing. That's what they want to do. We've seen not just last year, but even the first two games this year, the game plan and the aggression level on the road in week one was very different than what it was in week two. Does Dallas have the appetite to come out there from the jump and say, all right, you want to you have an offensive track meet? Let's do that for 60 minutes. Or is this going to be a deal where Seattle plays their ball, Dallas comes out a little more conservative, runs the ball at first, and if Seattle's putting up points, then Dallas has to play from behind again to catch up. And if that's the case, I don't feel especially good about this. I think they have to lean into what they do. I mean, you know, they run the ball really well, but if you know you're playing a team that you're probably not going to stop to the air and you have the weapons to keep pace with them, don't wait. I have to do that. Go out there and attack. And vice versa, if you know you don't have a secondary and you know that at least on paper you have weapons to get to the quarterback, are, are there going to be more aggressive schemes defensively? Are there going to be more blitzes? I mean, if, if, if in fact, Everson Griffin's putting his hand back down to the ground, that alone is a nice start. But to what degree will Mike Nolan alter that game plan and lean into the fact that, okay, well, chances are our secondary is not going to be anywhere close to what we're going to be guarding. Do we put more pressure up front? Do we put eight men in the box, nine in the box more often? Or are they going to try to play balance ball and hope that that works? And so if it's me, I I don't try to run away from what, I mean, look, Mike McCarthy can guard all the secrets he wants, but the fact is somebody has to see your practices to see your injury reports. So Seattle knows what's going to be weak on the Cowboys, you know, offensive line. They know what's going to be weak at the Cowboys secondary. If I'm Mike McCarthy, I go out, my game plan right away isn't to run from that. It's be aggressive on both sides of the ball. But will they actually do that? Because that hasn't been this team's MO, especially not on the road. And so on the road, if you go back to the middle of last season, basically from the second half on to where we are now, and I know it was a new coaching staff and that, but it's the same significant pieces for the most part. I mean, they just they've been conservative and they haven't looked good on the road. I mean, you just go back and you look at these games. You look at really for me, it starts with you know Detroit was terrible as a team, and so they you know they opened up that game and Zeke fumbled, and it kind of looked like the beginning of the Falcons game. But that that Detroit team was beaten down. Stafford wasn't even playing; he was already on IR. So they didn't really look great offensively there. But then after that, it just completely fell off. And then that's when you had the – they only scored nine points against New England. And then you sit there, and then you go to Chicago, and they scored 24. But, it, you know, as you remember, that Thursday night game was a lot of garbage points late in the game after that. I mean, that game was well out of hand. There was no chance the Cowboys were winning that game. And then, of course, that just awful game in in Philly with the division on the line. And so you roll that into what we saw week one – against the Rams and it just has been ugly on the road. We've seen two different teams home and, and away and, and 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 I hate to keep going back to this stat because it's so cliche, but I mean one of the key things is really Amari Cooper. We just see a different Amari Cooper at home and on the road. So uh that'll be something to keep an eye on too uh, in this game as well. Like are we gonna see them build off of what they did against Atlanta or do we see them regress back to the, the offense we've seen recently on the road from the Cowboys where it is a lot more conservative and it's pretty boring, and it's almost like the whole entire game is just like a slow bleed where you're like, yeah, it's close right now, but we know that they're not going to win this game. Can we just get it over with? Like, there's no life here. Is there going to be those sparks? Is there not? I kind of thought that's the way that that Falcons game was going. Like, it yeah. just got to a point where they finally got a spark because they were desperate because it's like, 
oh, we're getting blown out. What's the worst that can happen? We lose by 75? Let's might as well start chucking around. So do you play with that same aggression right from the beginning against Seattle? Well, you know, Zeke is probably – well, you can make the argument. It doesn't matter. Dak, Zeke, C.D. Lamb's been great. Amari Cooper's been pretty good so far too. But Zeke has probably been one of your best offensive players, of course, obviously, right? But Seattle does stop the run pretty well with Jerron Reed. Um, you know, that's kind of – you know, it seems like the Cowboys are still trying to make sure that they can get the ground game going early. And uh, I, I'm all I'm all on board for let's make this a track meet early. I think your weapons – are, are vastly, uh, you know, better than Seattle's weapons overall. Um, and that's no disrespect to Lockett and Metcalf, but I think Cowboys are a little deeper there. We saw that Schultz can make a few plays downfield. That was great. But, like, you know, I think Gallup, Cooper, and um, and CeeDee Lamb, let's, let's go. But you want to make sure all of those guys are 100%. Amari Cooper uh, still, obviously, as you just mentioned, doesn't seem like he's quite 100%. I was really impressed with DK Metcalf. He was only four catches for 92 yards. Three of those catches were on Stephon Gilmore, who a lot of people think is the best, you know, cornerback in the entire league. And I was just, you know, watching that, and I just couldn't help but go, who is he going to be on this week? Uh, Trevon Diggs. I thought Trevon Diggs, but uh, that might not be happening. So that makes you real nervous. So anyway, it's going to be fun, 325. Before we dive into uh, talking about uh, Mike's feature piece on uh, Jalen Smith, we got to get our predictions for the week. Let me update everyone. Um, right now, John, you're one and one. You got it last week. A Cowboys win. Great job. Uh, Kent goes to two and zero oh at the Cowboys win. I go to two and zero oh at the Cowboys win. And then uh, uh, the guest picks, which last week it was Kelsey Charles, she got the win for the guest as well. So the guests are one and one. So. A lot of pressure on you, Mike, uh, to keep the guest picks going. Uh, what is your prediction, Cowboys-Seahawks? I really want to be optimistic, but it's just – it's really hard between how depleted this team is going to be in key areas, the difference in philosophies for how they, you know, essentially their game plans at home versus on the road, and just playing a really good team. Um, I'm going to go Seattle 34-24. Ooh. All right. Uh, I went 30-24 Seattle, and I think that's it could be a little higher than that. I could see this game getting up there in the 30s again, kind of like I predicted week one would be and wasn't. I just, I mean, look, John, you said it. I think you get the best line of the podcast when you said, we're having open tryouts at cornerback right now. Uh, man, that is, that's rough. Uh, let's go to Kent. What is your prediction for the game? Yeah, Russell Wilson. <laughs> It's playing really well right now across all the shows I've worked on this week, across the athletic, the football GM with Mike Sando, the athletic football show. All those guys have been talking nonstop all week about how good Russell Wilson is playing, like historic level um, when you look at the numbers. I mean, but aside from that, he's he's everything you want in a quarterback. So, but also, you got to admit, I mean, Dak Prescott, NFC Player of the Week, I mean, he's playing extremely well right now. So I think it's going to be an offensive battle, but I'm probably more confident in Seattle going into it. And uh, so I'll take Seattle with a slight edge at home, 33-30. Yeah, I'm taking I'm taking the Seahawks too. Uh, I'm going 35-30. I really don't know that it'll even be that close of a game. Uh, I think, you know, Seattle will play very well. 
And I don't have no problem believing that they're going to get to 35. I think the Cowboys at one point might be down maybe 35, 21, something like that. And it might, you know, 35, 20, and then fight back and make it a little bit closer. But I just can't go against the Seahawks team, especially with all the injuries on the Cowboys defense. Um, to Kent's point though, about Dak though, it is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, it, he hasn't thrown an interception since that Buffalo game last year on Thanksgiving. So I went back and did the math on that. And so in the last six games, he hasn't thrown an interception in his last 270 pass attempts, which that uh, is, is certainly the Cowboys' new record. Uh, it had been Troy Aikman at 216 back in 99. And the all-time record is Aaron Rodgers at 402. Um, so that's crazy, 270 passes without an interception. I mean, he's taking care of the ball, and he's obviously averaging during those Six games since Buffalo, he's averaging a little over 300 yards passing per game. So this isn't like it's rookie year, Dak, where it's like, yeah, but he's only throwing for maybe 180, 200. So, I mean, he's he's winging it, and he's got the weapons to get it done, but I just don't think it's going to be enough against Seattle. So, yeah, 35-30. I'm interested to get your guys' take real quick on uh, how much would your score predict, prediction change if uh, there were fans in the stands and it was normal Seattle 12th man because I think I might be going 40-30 if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, I've got a ten-point spread, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily that optimistic. I mean, I might tack on another few points. Um, at the end of the day, I, I think we've seen this team consistently struggle on the road, no matter what the environment is. So, you know, even even if that is the most fierce one of the league, it's not like uh, they've shown reason to trust them, even in an empty stadium. So, yeah, I'm not terribly optimistic right now. Yeah, there's very few places in the league that I actually really take that into serious consideration, but Seattle's one of them. So yeah, I would, you know, probably add another uh, three or four points there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think that that place makes a difference when, uh, when they're able to deck that thing out. And by the way, we should mention this too, before we uh, completely move on is, uh, cause I can't believe his name hasn't been brought up yet in this budget. Jamal Adams too. And Jamal Adams played a big part in their week one victory, over the Falcons didn't have as you know uh, as much of a box score field game in game two. Really didn't seem a ton. You know, rewatching that game didn't seem to be a, a difference maker in that game against New England. But you know, I, I don't really know what to think of how good New England is. I feel like I have a vibe for how good Atlanta is. I mean, they strike me as very eight and eight, and I know everything that happened. I, I don't think we feel like last week's team is the Cowboys team of this year. I think we feel like. That's a team who had a lot of mistakes in the first quarter, and it's kind of what made that game what it was. I don't think I know how what, what New England is, but I, I think it should be known that that week one game against uh, Atlanta, you know, Atlanta had 12 points going into the fourth quarter. Seattle dominated that game, and it ended up looking a little bit closer in the final score. You know, last week's game with New England ended up being close in the fourth quarter, but Seattle dominated that game as well. Um, you know, they were ahead by two scores for a lot of that game. So, you know, Seattle hasn't really been, you know, playing with their food too much. They've been coming and getting off to a good, a good start and, uh, you know, putting it on teams, you know, Dallas really needs to really needs to get off to a, to a hot start and, you know, move the ball and find a way to get a stop or two in the first half. Cause, um, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough one on Sunday afternoon. We all pick Seattle. KT got to take a quick time out here to say thank you to our lovely sponsors. But listener, you can listen to the show ad-free all the time at The Athletic and on The Athletic app. But stick around, because we're talking Jalen Smith with Mike Pellucci right after this. Are you looking for a way to watch the NFL this season? Did you cut the cord? Are you looking to cut the cord? 
Because maybe the service provider that you have not have all the games you want to see. Well, Fubo TV is the answer for you. The family plan, three people can watch at once. The regular plan, two screens can watch at once. You get 15% off your first month. If you go to FuboTV.com slash athletic. That's FuboTV.com slash athletic. I've been watching the NFL all season long on FuboTV. They have NFL Red Zone as well. So if you like to watch the games via NFL Red Zone, maybe you don't want to watch the Cowboys. Maybe the Cowboys are getting beat. Maybe the late game doesn't appeal to you. Well, all the games are going to be available on FuboTV. And it's much cheaper than cable at right around 50 bucks a month. So check it out. Get 15% off at FuboTV.com slash athletic. Start your first month today. Guys, talking about ED is not easy. Usually we make excuses. We like to tell ourselves we're not in the mood or we had a long day at work. Well, with Roman, it's easy to talk about ED. You can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and most importantly, privacy of your own home might be tough to have that talk with your local doctor. Maybe you see him often. Maybe you don't want to go there. So maybe online is better for you with Roman. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cowboys. Complete an online visit. And if medication is required, they'll send it to you with free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Cowboys. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. This football season's a lot different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for the game. No matter how you watch the game this season, Pepsi is a refreshment that you need to power through the game and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch the game. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Let's go to Mike Pellucci. Now, Mike, you uh, wrote an article a little earlier in the month on Jalen Smith. It was a very good feature piece, um, which really talks about the you know perception of Jalen Smith amongst the fan base, um, some of Jalen's off-the-field initiatives, um, but, you know, I, really what all went into to getting that piece done and uh, what were some of your favorite parts of uh, that article? Yeah, thank you, man. I, I'm, I mean, the short version of what went into a lot of it was uh, a lot of phone calls, a lot of talking to people from different points in his life because, you know, I, I don't – when you get access to a guy like that, you know, my philosophy and my approach is – I just want to tell an honest story about this guy at this moment in his life. And what does that look like? Um, because Jalen Smith is someone who is fascinating, right? I mean, he's pretty polarizing. You know, when John earlier in the offseason did uh, a big Cowboys, you know, comprehensive survey and asked one of the questions among the many of them on there was, you know, who's the most overrated player on the team? And you had to write in those responses. Jalen Smith won. Um, and this is a guy who clearly was great in 2018. I think we can agree on that. Even last year, after taking a step back, still, you know, if you look at you know the pro football focus grades, you look at the advanced stuff, he still had a good year, right? He goes to the Pro Bowl, and some of it may have been a reputation thing, but he wasn't a bad player last year. But clearly, the fan base has opinions on him. Um, and so I was I was fascinated. I want to know what he was about. And, you know, so I made a lot of phone calls, talked to probably about 15 people, including Jalen. And what was interesting to me was that 
you know, and I went all the way back. I talked to his high school teachers. I talked to Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. I talked to um, Jesse Bates, who's safety for the Cincinnati Bengals, childhood friend of his. I talked to people all around different points of his life. And everybody tells the same story about him, which is that he really does want to do well. And he really, you know, everything you see as far as a guy who, I mean, he's his big charitable project is he wants to support and invest in minority businesses. And he's, you know, this offseason in a pandemic, he raised 600000 you know, for them that he distributed in seed money and he's pledging two and a half million of his own money over the next decade. Um, you know, a guy who is a big personality. Uh, he's somebody who, you know, I mean, we've all heard the clear review thing, but, you know, it's interesting talking to people. Everybody continually says this is all legitimate. This is not an act. This is all stuff he really cares about. So it very much turned into a piece sort of trying to understand, like, what is getting lost in translation? Because clearly, uh, a large segment of the fan base of the public doesn't necessarily believe this is genuine. And I think, you know, some of it may just come down to uh, just, you know, I don't know. It's, it's lost in translation right now. The swipe is really the perfect example of it. Um, if you talk to Jalen Smith, Jalen Smith legitimately believes that the whole point of the swipe is to fire up his teammates. Uh, if you ask anybody else outside of that, that's not what it looks like. It looks like he's celebrating at times that sometimes may not be the right opportunity for him to do that. But, you know, again, I've talked to enough people that, you know, were around when he invented it, what he was doing in high school, like that really is what he's trying to do. So maybe some of it's getting lost in translation. Maybe some of it is him, you know, maybe need to take the temperature of the room a little bit and decide if he wants to adapt to that or not. You know, so far he's, you know, pretty you know adamant about, I want to be who I am, no matter the circumstance. Um, and I think some of it too, you know, for better or for worse, and this, you know, this you know, gets mentioned later on in the piece. Uh, if the Cowboys are winning and Jalen Smith is playing well, he could probably do whatever he wants. And I think that's the answer for every professional athlete, right? I think some of the stuff that Jalen does, probably if he's an NBA player, I don't think anybody thinks twice about it. I think some of it's football culture. And I think it's, you know, it's a little more buttoned up. And I think he's a guy who's a big personality and doesn't like to blend into the crowd. And sometimes that works for him and sometimes that doesn't based on how the public reacts to him. But yeah, I mean, you know, the big picture of why and how, I, you know, what I sought out to do, what I enjoyed about it was just trying to figure out what this guy's about and try to learn and see, you know, and just hopefully, you know, when I learn things, write a piece that sort of provides some sort of enlightenment for everybody reading it as far as a guy who, you know, he's been in, in you know, the Dallas public for five years now. We've seen him play. We've seen the ups, we've seen the downs, but I feel like there's still a lot to him that isn't out there yet. And, for the, you know, there's a lot that even I feel like, you know, I only scratch the surface of who he is. I think he's a pretty interesting, complicated guy. You know, I'm glad that in, in your article, because I think that I think a, a part of the disconnect with him and some of the fan base, obviously no blanket statements. There are tons of people, right. who are, yeah. you know, and I think everyone's pulling for him. Right. Um, but I think a part of the disconnect and I'm glad that you, you got into this in your article is the Monday night game last year um, against the Bears. Uh, I'm sorry, that was a Thursday night game. That was Thursday, a Thursday night, night game. Yeah. But after that was Thanksgiving. I mean. Yeah, I think that was the flashpoint for everybody. And even, I mean, even his manager admitted it. You know, I asked, what was the point when, you know, when you knew that this was getting bad publicly? And he's like, oh, that Bears game. That was, that was rock bottom right there. Yeah, because they were, you know, down 24-7 and uh, I believe you recovered a fumble and kind of celebrating. And I think you have to look at the context of the team at that time coming off the Thanksgiving Day loss to the Bills. They were 6-6. Six and six. They were struggling to get to the finish line. And it was beginning to look like this team with all this talent was not going to make the playoffs. And they really needed that game. They're down 24-7 and you have him celebrating. And, I mean, it was a bad look. And I think 
I think Jalen would tell you that to to this day. I always go back to this thing that uh, our good friend Brian Broadus always talks about. He always mentions uh, the perceptions of players always change when you know how much they make. And, yeah. you know, Dak's going to deal with this when he signs his big long-term deal eventually. But I think when Jalen got paid, it almost seemed a little bit, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, it did seem like it was a little bit surprising that Jalen got his contract uh, that early. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, it did. And, and obviously Mike touches on that in his story. Um they kind of came forward at that time because this was at a time when it was like, are they going to pay Dak? Are they going to pay Zeke? You know, there was other contracts on the horizon that were going to be bigger deals. And so it ended up being a good time, let's say, for the publicity of the Dallas Cowboys because there was this um, outside narrative that, well, they're not getting any contracts done. They're not getting anything done. What are they waiting for? What are they waiting? So it kind of was like, all right, we'll get this one done. And we'll get Lyle Collins done. So people can't say that we're not trying to get any deals done because we are, you know. And then obviously Zeke's deal eventually got done as well. I think my thing with Jalen is that, uh, just from my perspective, is that it just it's hard to get a straight answer out of him, whether it be about his personal life, whether it be what he's doing on the field. Just last week, you know, trying to see if he was going to stay at middle linebacker or move to middle linebacker with Leighton Vanderish being hurt. Uh, and it's just like he just doesn't give a straight answer. It's like he likes to play games a little bit, and I think it, it kind of exhausts people to a certain extent. And then when the team's not playing well on top of that and you're not making big-time plays, then I think people get really annoyed by things because it's not only that Chicago game. It's then, you know, the team's just playing. They're just the entire season. you just seen where it was heading last year, and then they're out of it, and he's tweeting about how vote for me to go to the Pro Bowl too. So, I mean, it was just there were several levels to it where it just keep you know, adding up to where you're just kind of like, man, to to live up to the persona that you're putting out there, you have to be making plays like you were making plays at Notre Dame. And I, obviously the injury set him back when, when he when he had that at, in his last game at Notre Dame against in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. But like he, he really there haven't been a, a lot of games where he made he's made plays as a cowboy as he has as no as he was Notre Dame Jalen Smith, is, I guess is the way I'm putting it. And so. If he makes those plays and he makes game-changing plays, people aren't really going to care if he swipes. People aren't going to care about any endorsements he does. People aren't going to care about any of that stuff. They'll be all on board with all of that. But you got to make the plays on Sunday. You got to make those game-changing plays. You have to be a difference, especially on a team as we just got done talking throughout this podcast that just needs help from anybody to make any plays possible on defense. One thing I'll leave you with on this is just Atlanta forced three fumbles. In the first quarter against the Cowboys, the Cowboys have recovered two fumbles in their last 10 games. Make some plays on defense. You know what kind of shocked me was that he graded out really well on pro football focus for the last game. And th- those grades, you take them with a grain of salt, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, because I heard that someone said that Jamal Adams was just like his grade on something. Or yeah, other. you just take like, it. He was the worst targeted guy or something. I'm just like, cool. Oh. Oh, it said on the website, Jamal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not yeah. gonna play him. Th- we're not playing him this week, guys. I don't know if you saw the grade, <laughs> Jamal. Thanks for everything you do. We invested a lot <laughs> to get you. The grade's down when you're targeted right now. So go ahead. We're gonna go play somebody behind it. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no. I mean, you, you take it with a grain of salt, right? Now, granted, the same system that said he looked pretty good last week, we obviously roasted him for week one. I think we can all agree he did not play well week one at all. But what was interesting though was that even last year, if you look at the main difference between 2018 and 2019. It's the coverage, and the coverage has dropped off. He looked a lot better in 18. 
But some of the very quietly happened last year, you know, Bob Sturm actually wrote about this for us a few weeks ago. He became a very good tackling linebacker, very good downhill linebacker. Um, you know, when he was grading it, you know, when Bob was grading out a few weeks ago, uh, among linebackers with at least 50 stops, the only guys who performed better than him are Keekley, who's now retired, Bobby Wagner and Demario Davis. So between that and the fact that even last week, I think the eye test, you know, I was kind of shocked that the coverage grade was pretty good because I, I think we all saw a few plays that looked like busts. Um, but downhill, he looked good. And, you know, watching Deion Jones on the other side and watching, you know, what Jalen has done well as far as going downhill, as far as he's he can blitz fairly effectively. And then you see this team not get to the quarterback. It kind of makes me wonder, how, are they asking him to do the wrong things? Is the answer just send him downhill, you know, let him be a bull in a China shop. Don't worry about reacting. Just go and be aggressive. Is that the answer to maybe unlocking what this guy does well? I think it's absolutely the answer to me. I just don't know if you can do that all game long though. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're a situational pass rusher true, yeah, and that's what you're coming in for. Sure. If you're playing every defensive snap, you're going to have to be in some coverage a little bit and him in coverage, I agree with you 100% of the downhill stuff, making the tackles. I think that's what was great about moving him to weak side. But when he's been in coverage, Man, it gets scary. I sometimes. watched that, that game was replayed on NFL Network, and I was scrolling by and watched a little bit of it. And right when I clicked clicked on it on a Fubo, it said it was the play where Hayden Hurst just torched J- Jalen. And Jalen's like limping across the field, basically. Like he just can't get over there. Like, it, as much as yeah. it's great that he his knee is healed, he's just he does kind of have a skip to his step a little bit still, and I think fans well, see that. And what's so strange to me is that in eighteen he he looked better in coverage he does now, and he was not healthier then than he is now. Based on everything I've learned from reporting that story, he is healthier now than he was then. Um, and you know, just quick sports science lesson for why he's not healthy, right? So he tore an ACL, he tore an LCL. But the real problem is he damaged something called the peroneal nerve, which basically sends signals from your knee down to your foot. Um, this guy, from what I understand, still, you know, move your foot, you know, essentially lift your foot upwards as far as you can. That's not something he can do with his left foot 100%. Um, at, you know, it got to the point this summer, this offseason, where he started working on that area a lot more than he used to. Um, you know, the way that I understand it from talking to his trainer, from talking to his manager, um, and of course, you know, Jalen's cagey about this sort of thing. He's, he's not going to, that's not something he's going to want to talk about from talking to people close to him. The deal is that, you know, in some ways him making the Pro Bowl was a good thing because it sort of made him a little more confident in who he is now that, you know, before maybe there's a little bit of a mental block of, you know, I'll be whatever I can be, even if my foot's not going to be hundred percent, I'm going to play around it. Then he makes the Pro Bowl and he's thinking, all right, well, you know what, you know, even if I can't figure this out, and even if I try to get better and I realize I never will be what I used to be in college. I still made a pro bowl. I could still be a very good player. So he did a lot more work in that area. And, you know, essentially he increased the mobility around there, increased the flexibility. It's not hundred percent, but it's closer to that than it has been. So the part that I really don't understand, and I'm not sure anybody's got the answer for is if he's healthier now and he's got more experience now and he's still a young guy. Why is it that he looks so much better in coverage two years ago? That part really, I can't understand. And, and there's no question that that injury is what set him back in the coverage side of it. There's just no doubt about right. it. I mean, my younger brother is a huge Notre Dame fan. So I find myself watching Notre Dame probably as much as anybody outside of when I watched Florida State. And I watched almost every game he played in college. And before that injury, 
he was going top five. And you don't take a linebacker, yeah. you don't take a linebacker top five that's just downhill. You take him at top five because you're like, this is a chess piece. We move everywhere, anywhere, whenever, doesn't leave the field. He'll drop in coverage, mm-hmm. he'll come down, he'll make tackles, he'll clean everything up. And then so yeah, there's no question that the drop foot situation he dealt with or he dealt with all this rehabbing and stuff like that. There's no question that that that's impacted him dropping in coverage because there's some times where he's in coverage and you're just like, how, why is that guy on the field? Like th- he just got obliterated. Believe me, that's that's because I th- I feel like to Mike's point, he's still working his way back, yeah. or at least even if he isn't going to fire at a hundred percent ever again finding little tricks and things that might be able to kind of bridge the gap of, hey, I might never get back 100% to where I was before, but when I do this on this play or do this on this play, it kind of bridges the gap and and makes me a better player there. You know, you talk about perception. This whole piece is about his the perception. I think the perception from the fans is because of the way Jalen talks about himself is, yeah, I'm 100%. I'm back. It's, it's, It's old Jalen Smith again. And he's not. Oh, he, he's clearly he's offended. not. But he's saying he that. He is offended. He's right. offended if you bring up and say Notre Dame Jalen because he thinks that's who right. he is right he's now. Not. And, and I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to sit here and Jeff Kavanaugh, Everson Griffin get in an argument on Twitter back and forth with him about it. But again, I've watched him play on, on both levels. Like, he is not the same player that he was at Notre Dame. Yeah. It's I, clearly I mean, different. I, just, what, it, it's, and it's clear why. I mean, it, you can you can tell why. It is that that leg. I mean, like Kent and John, I know you guys are at the same combine that year, and you know how the combine is. You can run into random people from random organizations. It's almost it's it's almost a weird social gathering. And I remember a person who worked in the medical department for another team going, "Oh yeah, we we're not drafting. He's not on our board. There's only a twenty percent chance he'll play in the league." And I remember going, "Holy yeah. cow!" And that. That I took that to heart, and the night the Cowboys drafted him, I think a lot of the Cowboys fan base was saying, "What, you know, guys like me and I, I think Dane was in Broadus, that." We Broadus were like, just sat in Broadus. silence, like he couldn't believe it. Like Miles Jack was on the board, and and they took Jalen Smith, and he's like, "Broadus didn't think he'd ever play again," you know. And and you you're right, KT. You talked to a lot of people at that combine, and you know, granted the Cowboys. Doctors are the ones that did the surgery, so they probably caught, kept a lot of that in-house, a lot of what they really knew about what his knee looked like. And so maybe yeah. some of the tests that the other doctors did on Jalen at the Combine were inconclusive, and they're like, I don't want to risk it. But yeah, I mean, when you when you put the perception on, this guy probably shouldn't even be playing football, I think he's far exceeded the expectation <laughs> that you have there. No, no and that, But fans and look at it like, he's not 100% Notre Dame. He sucks, you know? Like, that's not, right. the, that shouldn't be the story, right? And it's important to note that him having the personality that he has is probably a large reason why he was able to come back from an injury that, hey, <clears throat> flat out, you're not supposed to play yeah. ever again after that. You're not really supposed to go out after you suffer that injury and play with your buddies on a Saturday out at the park. Like, your career's done. Forget it. You're not doing anything athletic after this. But he sat there and l- literally took a redshirt year. I used to watch him at Valley Ridge every single yeah, day, grinding on the cords. All While I'm sitting here with like other people that obviously you know studied the draft and saw it, and we're like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to play. You saw him struggling with just simple things, working on the resistance cords, just running, doing drills, doing ladder drills and stuff like that. And you're just like, man, this seems like he's got a long way to go. As I'm watching this, thinking to myself, yeah, man, I got the connections from Notre Dame. I got some NFL connections now. I'll, I'm going to do something else. I'm not doing this thing. Like, it's amazing how a lot of these guys are able to rehab from just your average injury, like, you know, broken ankle, things like that. 
But to come back from this, I guess, significant of a knee injury and may even make it to where he is right now, it's probably a big reason because of the way he is as a person where he just won't take no for he doesn't he won't believe that he can't play at the same level that he played at at when he was at Notre Dame yeah it was a lot of forced positivity you know that's you know understanding what had to happen for him mentally as much as physically right because this is I mean the part that I feel like you know gets overlooked isn't just the injury itself but like when he got it if he got this midway through his junior year you know okay but this guy goes out to the bowl game and we, this, you know, it's probably next year. In a lot of ways, he probably changed college football in terms of guys started skipping bowl games after him because yeah. once they saw how much money he lost because he played in a bowl game, that's when you start seeing guys say, nope, not doing that. So for it to happen at the last game in college when he's at the finish line, right? I mean, he lost, I mean, forget just how much future money he lost if, if he plays like that guy in the league because that guy that guy is probably going to 10 Pro Bowls. That's how good he is. I think we forget sometimes just how talented he is. But just even the upfront money, I mean, he lost probably $15 million just on draft day, just going from a top five guy, maybe a top three guy to the early second. So you go from that to thinking everything you work for his whole life. And this is a guy who, you know, he did not grow up dirt poor, but he didn't grow up rich by any means, right? This is, this was, he's definitely somebody, and he talks about this. He's open about the fact that where he comes from, where he, his brother Rod, he used to play in Dallas, come from, you know, sports your way out in a lot of ways. So you work your whole life to get there and you just have to make it through 45 more minutes and then snap your fingers. It might all be over and you might not even be able to walk normally again. That takes a lot mentally to get through. And the only way you do that from talking to people close to him is just, you put up a shield. You basically force positivity in your brain all the time. And you don't let any cognitive dissonance go in because you can't believe the outside noise because in this case, the outside noise is probably conventional wisdom. Like if you had to ask someone, logically speaking, will Jalen Smith be a good NFL player? Logically, no, probably not with the injury he has. So I think in some ways he needs to pr- maybe adapt that mindset because he is, you know, look, he's not a bad player. At the very least, he's a good player. Whether he'll be the player that people thought he could be coming out of college, who knows? But he's a, he's a good player. So now that you're in the league, you're five years in, you got paid, you know, maybe it needs to be a little less forced positivity because it's a different circumstance now. And I think that was something, you know, based on what uh, the reporting I did told me, it's that he has adapted a little bit more, right? Because the forced positivity Jalen might have said, you know, as he did the last four years, I'm not even working on this perennial nerve. I'm not even worried about my foot. I'll be fine. I'll be okay. It's all good. And he looked in the mirror this offseason and was like, you know what? I need to try and address this because I'm never going to be what I want to be if I can't get better at this. If I can't try to make this in my body a little more strong in this area. So maybe it's getting there. I think he's always probably going to be a little bit cagey. Um, I think that's kind of who he is. I think he, to some degree, I think he tries to control the message to another degree. And I mentioned this in a piece, but he, you know, a couple of years ago, he Bleach Report profiled him and he was very much himself and he was very, you know, big personality Jalen and someone in the organization talked to him about it and kind of chewed him out and said, don't do that. And so I think he's a little wary of how much can I be myself? How much can I not? I think he's trying to find the right way to walk the line. But, you know, the bottom line goes back to, to what Kevin was saying, right? You get paid, the expectations are different. And I think he gets it. And certainly people around him get it. And you know, look, we have a small sample to look at. He looked good in camp. He looked really bad week one. He, at the very least, looked good week two, maybe even looked very good. Um, so let's see where it goes. I mean, I think the will switch is going to help him. Um, but again, you know, ultimately, even if you do blitz him more, even if you send him downhill more, John's right. Like, you can't 
you can't hide them from coverage. You've got to find ways to make that work. And that's really going to be the key. I think he can be a good player if he, you know, he'll be good even if he's just as good as he is in the downhill game and as good as he is as a tackler and just is, you know, neutral to maybe even slightly below average in coverage. But if he can go back to even what he looked like in 2018, let alone what he was in college, just 2018, that guy in coverage, if that health translate and this mindset shift translates, then you have a real genuine impact guy who could be a multi-time pro bowler. But we're just going to have to see how that bears out. Yeah, my great work on that feature piece. I actually, uh, I just posted it on my Twitter account at KT Fun Tweets, and you can follow uh, Mike at Mike Like Sports. Also follow at Kent Garrison and at John Mashota on uh, Twitter as well. And if you're a new subscriber to the Athletic, make sure that you go. Or if you're a first time subscriber, go to theathletic.com/slash/aboutthemcowboys for a forty percent discount. Be sure to check out all the great work on the Athletic. John covering the Cowboys. With all the latest Cowboys news, even though they're keeping secrets, um, Sean Shapiro and the Dallas Stars in the Stanley Cup Finals still happening this week. Hey, the Rangers are still doing stuff. Levi is a great writer. Just just go read Levi. Um, well, the Jamie and- Newberg piece on the site by the time you are listening to this podcast as well, the great Newberg report. Boom. My, my goodness, so much happening at The Athletic. We will rejoin you uh, Sunday night, Monday morning for the Cowboys-Seahawks recap. All four of us uh, picked the Seahawks to beat the Cowboys, but hopefully the Cowboys will surprise us. Uh, for Father John Mishota, for Kent Garrison, for our featured guest Mike Pellucci, I'm Kevin K.T. Turner, and we will see you next time on another edition of About Them Cowboys. <laughs>